3: You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN
2: Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Here's George Foreman with
1: InventHelp. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. Call
2: InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp has been helping inventors for more than 30 years and
5: has sales offices nationwide. InventHelp can submit your invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. If you have an idea and want to try to patent it and submit it to companies, you should call InventHelp today for free information. Listen,
1: I can't guarantee a company will be interested in your idea, but I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner.
2: get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-353-6490. That's 1-800-353-6490. Again, 1-800-353-6490. This is Slickery Trigger for Rebel Road Tactical. With proper care and feeding, your pistol will be ready when you need it, there to save your life. Shouldn't your gear be that good? Whether you need a holster for comfortable, everyday carry, or a tough-as-nails holster for your next training course, Rebel Road Tactical has what you need. Check us out
5: on the web at rebelroadtactical.com.
3: You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where
2: liberty and reason still reign.
6: Sometimes we need to slow down and remember the simple pleasures in life. Good coffee, good books, and good company. Come on in. Take a seat. The coffee's just been brewed. Let's see who we have in the coffee shop today. Well, <clears throat> well, I'm looking around the coffee shop. Justin, Justin Kinney! Wow, how interesting to find you here.
0: Oh, hello.
5: How are you doing today?
6: Oh, great. Normally, we're not talking books. We're usually talking bad guys or terrorists or borders.
5: We usually are. Yeah, Usually we get into terrorism and international relations issues. But uh, today we're talking books.
6: Well, I know you're an author. So for those who aren't familiar with your work why don't you give us the basics about your book?
5: Sure. So it is my, my, my very first novel. It came out um, about last April. It's called precipice. Uh, And I actually write under my my middle name. So it's J Robert Kinney. Uh, So that's, that's how you would find it on, on Amazon or or elsewhere. Um, But it's, it's essentially a kind of a small town murder mystery book. You know, there's a trail of murders in in this town and you kind of have a, a local government agency, Takes interest in it uh, for a couple different reasons, uh, and they start investigating, and try to figure out what's 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 going on to solve kind of this dangerous plot that this seems to be brewing.
6: Well, that definitely sounds like it'll fit the bill for a murder mystery.
5: Absolutely, I I love that the whole genre of uh, murder mysteries, thrillers, and so when I sat down to start writing, that's where I kind of naturally gravitated gravitated towards.
6: Well, you know my favorite author, Brad Thor, did an interview at the end of one of his audiobooks. And this was the, my, the, my favorite thing about it. He said, don't write what you know. Write what you really? read. Because you essentially have a mini PhD in that genre.
5: I, I, yeah, I do. I Actually, I have a master's degree in forensic science. So I try to stick to all the crime scene elements, make those as as realistic as possible. And then I'm, as you said, I'm kind of working on a Ph.D. where I'm studying mostly terrorism. Uh, so I have a lot of, so I'm starting to build a lot of terrorist elements into, um, into into future books as well that I'm working on. Oh, there's a sequel. There is a sequel. It's coming along. I'm probably about seventy-five percent through right now. Um, it's it's uh, slow going, but it's making progress day by day. It'll be out before you know it.
6: Oh, that is awesome! Now, refresh my memory. Traditionally published or self-published?
5: Uh, I I chose to self-publish for this first one. I um I initially you know was talking with with several agents and publishers, and I, I I was thinking I wanted to go that route. But the further I went down that path, and I you know I had some agents go go back and forth with me a little bit about it. I decided self-publishing would be best for this first one um, for a couple reasons. Uh, one, I, I I think you have a lot more control over, you know, the cover design and, and how you promote it, how you market it, um, e- even content. There's a lot more personal control and I wanted that for my first one. And then too, I, I write with a little bit of an unusual style, uh, especially for a first-time author where I like to use multiple points of view. And uh, that's something that a, a lot of agencies are very hesitant to to work with a first-time author on. And I thought it would be best to kind of, uh, get out ahead of that and, and show that this is this is the style that I like to write in and, and work from there. And so I haven't decided if I'll continue self-publishing in the future or not. Uh, but for the first book, I thought that was probably the best route for me to take.
6: Well, that makes all the sense in the world. I mean, I've had both self and traditionally published authors on this show. So, hey. And I have to admit something. In this case, I'm supposed to be calling you Robert on this show, aren't I?
5: Oh, it's all right. I don't, I don't mind. I, I go by Justin in everyday life, but I, I write under my, my, my middle name, J. Roberts, uh, for, for fiction books.
6: Well, I will be sure to put J. Robert Kinney on the title. But anyway, I just keep going, why haven't we done this before? And I'm going, ugh. Now, I, full confession out there, guys, I have read his book. And I as you just heard me mention, I'm a huge thriller fan. Not so much a mystery fan. Thriller. But this book definitely had enough action to keep me going, and enough plot twists, so it was really good. How long did it take you to write the first one?
5: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it, it's actually kind of a long story. My, my. I uh, mean, the, the initial idea for it I actually came up with way back in high school. It's probably my senior year of high school, and I, I think I wrote the first chapter way back then. But I, at the time, I wasn't big into writing. I, I, it was, it was okay. I enjoyed it, but it, you know, I had, I had other. And dreams that I was pursuing at the time, and so I went off to college. Things kind of got put on the back burner for a while. Um, it wasn't really until my last year of college and kind of the first year or so out of college that I I kind of came back around to it and realized that I wanted to continue this. And so when I, when I finally you know settled down and got serious about it, it you know it only took a couple of years or so. But uh, from from its initial conception to publishing was probably close to ten years almost. Uh, which is is unusual, but hopefully the second one won't take me nearly that long.
6: I got a question for you. What made you decide to publish your academic works under Justin Kinney and your fiction book under J. Robert Kinney?
5: I mean, that's that's, that's a good question. I I think ultimately I kind of decided on on a couple things. Um, One was I I did want to keep them separate in in some some capacity, keep my – a professional academic career distinct somehow from my fiction. And I thought the best way to do that was was to, to change the name slightly. I, I thought about going with, with like a pseudonym and making something up entirely, but I, I didn't particularly like that idea as much either. Um, and so I decided to go with, with my middle name. And in part, that's that's a little bit of an homage. It, my middle name is, is my father's name. It's also my grandfather's name. Uh, so there's a little bit of an homage to, to family history there as well. Um, but I, I guess I thought I wanted to keep those two lives kind of separate and distinct, at least on the surface. Now, obviously, in real life, they kind of blend together with some of my interests. But, you know, very soon I'll be, I'll be publishing in, in political science. I'll be publishing a couple articles, uh, hopefully in the next year or so, on, on terrorism uh, that are a little bit more academic and pro- professional based. Uh, and so I, wa- I just wanted to keep those two distinct.
6: Well, that's cool, because I know another writer who actually has a Ph.D., and she actually lists her academic papers, and if you type her name into Google, first thing that comes up is all those academic papers and her personal website.
5: Yeah, well, it's it's certainly an, an unusual um, kind of conflux of of fields. But yeah, you, know, you know, very shortly, I'll, I'll have publishings in, in kind of both of them. I, I, hopefully, they, they play off one another nicely.
6: Well, I highly doubt you'll get any forensic details wrong.
5: I certainly hope not. I, obviously, there are certain things you have to tweak a little bit, you know, to keep the interest uh, and to to keep, I mean, realistically speaking, a lot of forensics take you know, months to do. And sometimes you have to compress the time frame a little bit to to keep the, the pace of the book. But in terms of any sort of actual details of that, I try to keep that as accurate as I can. Um from my own knowledge, and if there's any questions that I, I have, uh, you know, I, I make sure I do my best to, to look it up and to, and to keep everything as accurate as possible. Because that's one of my pet peeves. When I watch a TV show or read a book and things just aren't correct, um, it, it really pulls me out of the book, uh, makes it feel very un- unrealistic.
6: You know, I've got that same feeling on certain things. Because while I'm <laughs> not a professed or credentialed expert on anything, I know enough just from reading and various things like that that I you know, picked up a body of knowledge over the years just from being around it and being exposed that somebody puts something that's complete rubbish in a book. Like, I'm going to give you an example and I'm going to tell a small tale out of school because I know the manuscript's been changed and I'm not going to give the person's name. Huh. The head of Canada, the Canadian Prime Minister, comes down to the United States to go to an amusement park at night for the opening of a roller coaster. How unplausible does that
5: sound? Well, it, it does sound unpla- you know, very, very implausible. Um, and that's not to say you can't use it, but you have to be able to justify things like that. In, in ways that make it either sound plausible or you have to change the story and i, I think it's really important to get things in your story accurate if, it, if it's if it's a factual thing or, or, or plausible if it's something more and more along those lines that just ha- has to make sense to your reader they think this is something that could actually happen
6: there are
5: some... uh, even even in books that's like say a, a fantasy novel see if you read fantasy mystery or something where obviously elements are fantastical, there still has to be an element that's grounded in something realistic that makes people think like, if, if I lived in this world, this is this is how it would work. You have to you have to still maintain, you know, some element of following the the rules that your world sets. Whether you're talking in a fantastical novel or kind of a gritty realistic mystery novel, you, ha- you have to follow that. So those, those you have to follow those rules of plausibility.
6: Right, and as you know, I don't write, Justin, but I do a lot of beta reading. And I tripped across this and I went, okay, in the first 50 pages of this manuscript, we have broken security protocol details. When the Canadian Prime you know, we've broken the protocols of most security details. We've broken plausibility and the order of succession of the Canadian Prime government okay no
5: and i yeah, well and, and particularly in a case like that I, I don't know where this author is from but if, if you're not say from canada you may not know some of these things but it's it's important to to do a lot of research ahead of time and i i know i do countless amounts of research um for, you know for my work if, if there's something that i don't know about you know like like you've mentioned line of succession I'm, i don't know what the Canadian line of succession is but you know, I'd have to make sure to look it up to make it as accurate as I could.
6: I also read, I was beta reading another manuscript, and they had literally moved the Statue of Liberty to Washington, D.C.
5: Well, you know, if, if you're going to have something like that, you've got to find a way to justify it in a way that makes sense. I mean, all kinds of stories, you know, do things that on their surface may seem implausible, but you have to find a way to justify it. And that's that's where it gets tricky. I mean, it's, not to say that you can't do that. I mean, there may, maybe you can come up with something, you know, particularly writers tend to be very creative people. Maybe they can come up with a reason to move it to D.C., but it has to be something that's, that makes sense to your reader and that, that, that wouldn't pull them out of the story and, and make them question it. Something that would just make them nod and say, okay, that, you know, that makes sense. Uh, even if it's something you know, kind of out there, like 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 moving the, the Statue of Liberty.
6: Well, I think that's a great tip for writers. Make sure you do your research, and if you're going to do something crazy, you better justify it.
5: So absolutely, and you, you justify it either through you know factual details that you do that that you look up and research, or you know, you have to find some creative. You know, chain of logic that would that would you know lead you to that path
6: what other advice would you give to new writers
5: uh i, I think the biggest thing is uh well i, I guess I would, I would say two things one is just keep writing I, I know um i it was particularly writing this first one you you run into a lot of times where you i don't, I don't want to call it writer's block necessarily but times where you're not quite sure what what to do next um and you get frustrated with that. And I think the biggest thing is just keep keep writing. And it's I think it's it's important to even even if you don't work on that, you know, flip, flip, flip to something else. You write something else. You get ideas that will, that will jog your your memory. You, you might get ideas from writing a different book entirely if you have multiple ones you're working on at the same time. You know, so, so something simple like that. Just just keep at it. Don't get discouraged. Um, I think that was probably the biggest thing for me is just just staying with it I, I tell you it's it's it was very gratifying to see it all finally come together in the end uh particularly when there were parts when you or there were, there were times when i wasn't sure that was going to happen uh it was definitely a, a very gratifying feeling
6: oh i can imagine holding that completed published book in your hand had to feel amazing
5: it did it, it's it was um especially for, for that first one it, You 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 don't always realize that it's it's a possibility until, you, until you've completed it. Um, but it's, it's a good feeling. so I would, I would encourage anybody who's interested in getting into writing or wants to start it, just keep per- persevering with it. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll come together in the end. It, it'll be worth it. Uh, the other thing I, I would say, too, and this is something I didn't do initially, is save, you know, previous drafts and the previous edits as, as you go through. Uh, there were several times that I would edit something, take it out, and then want to put something back in later on and if you, if you don't save previous drafts, you, you lose a lot of that. And I, I unfortunately the first couple times I, I went through I, I, I didn't save all of those previous drafts and I, I lost material that I had to kind of recreate later on. Um, but I, you know nowadays I try to save everything. Uh, whether it's uh, a really poor piece of writing that I was just trying something out, I, I save that in a, in a file he, because you never know what might spark an idea later on.
6: So basically, make yourself a writing out outtakes file.
5: Yes, yes, kind of, kind of like a, like, 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 a Blue Bruce, yeah. like a bloopers, like a bloopers reel. Um, you know, things. Just save everything, even if it's something you, you don't think you're going to use now. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a B storyline that you were planning to use in this book, and you decide not to save it. You know, put it to the side. Maybe you'll, you'll, you'll use it in another book down the road. Uh, maybe it's something that will spark an idea. You know even in this book about you know a, a different storyline, it's never a good idea, at least in my, in my opinion, to, to delete a lot, a lot of those things, because that's, that's work that you put time and effort into, and you, and you never know what might come out of that down the road.
6: Another author friend of mine had a really interesting idea, and she's also self-published. She took some of her writing outtakes, scenes that she loved. They were polished and edited and all pretty, but she had to take them out of the manuscript. And she used them as blog posts and promotional material when her book came out.
5: That's, that's a great idea, I like that a lot. It's, it's very, very painful to have to cut something that you, spill, you put a lot of time and effort into. And if, if you can use that in another capacity, that's, that's a wonderful idea.
6: I definitely agree with your idea the outtakes real, because I've talked to various other writers And I've heard the weeping and gnashing stories, because like I said, I'm not a writer, but I love reading. I absolutely got to have my books and my coffee. (laughs) I keep it. Hey, got to have some fun in life, Justin. Got to do it.
5: Absolutely. All
6: right. So we've discussed writer's block. It took you 10 years started this in high school. That's incredible. I know a lot of high school students who wouldn't have even still had that material.
5: Well it I I was very lucky that I had managed to save, you know, this this little bit, uh, somewhere on one of my hard drives and I managed to, to come across it years later. like I said, it took ten years. I wasn't writing the whole time though. It was kinda mean, in in and out. You know, I'd put it aside, then I'd pick it up, you know, do a little editing, add a little bit to it, and I'd put it aside for a while. Um it wasn't until you know much later that I got serious about sitting down to finish it.
6: So, can I ask, how's the next book coming? Are we like first draft, second draft?
5: I'm I'm on the first draft. Uh, I, although I, I do a little differently than some people, I like to edit kind of as I go along too. So it's probably like draft one and a half. Um, but I'm probably about seventy five percent or so through. The first draft. I'm I'm far enough into it that I I know how it's going to end, which I I often don't when I start uh, a book, but I'm far enough in that I've pretty much plotted out the last several chapters. So I'm getting close to having a a full draft put together. I'm hopeful to have that out before too long and then start diving into some of the editing and filling in any plot holes that I might have overlooked in the first draft. Um, But it's, it's getting close. Having you know an entire first draft complete, I- I'm excited about it. It's it's a little bit bigger uh, in scope than the first one. A little bit more terrorism related. A little bit more international related um, than than this first one, which was a little bit more small town mystery. But I'm I'm excited about where it's going, and it's opening up a lot of doors too for, e- for even future books down the road. I think.
6: Well, that is absolutely. Absolutely, Um, you've got me wanting to read it. Like I said, I do a lot of beta (laughs) reading, Justin.
5: Well, I'll definitely let you know when it's finally put all, you know, all put together.
6: Oh, like I said, I can't wait because I loved Precipice.
5: Well, I appreciate it. I I tried to. I I know you said you're not a big mystery fan, but you're big on thriller. I I tried to kind of combine those two genres because they're two that I love. A lot, I, you know, I read a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stuff, you know, the, the classic mystery. So I'm a big, big into the thriller genre as well. It's a lot more suspenseful. And so I tried to kind of combine elements of both of them into, into Precipice.
6: All right. So for someone writing either a mystery or a thriller or something with forensics in it, what are some place, you know, resources for where they could get information?
5: Well, I, I think there's there's a couple different ways you I mean, obviously, the Internet is full of all kinds of places right. you can go. Is there a uh, particular
6: there's... website that you think has a lot? Or, you know, is Wikipedia actually accurate on this stuff? Obviously, no one ever wants to use Wikipedia as the final source. But the interesting thing well, I like about Wikipedia, they give you their sources at the bottom.
5: Yeah, you know, I... I... I, I also, I, I teach at a, at a university, and I always tell my students, you know, don't use Wikipedia as a source, but the truth is, I mean, but Wikipedia is a very good starting point in a lot of places. It's not something you ever want to cite, but it gives you a good enough overview, and it will often be able to direct you to primary sources, uh, and so, I, you know, it's, I mean, I use Wikipedia all the time. I, I, again, I don't cite it for anything, but, you know, you scroll on to the bottom, and it lists a bunch of primary sources usually on most articles. And and I think that's a really good starting point um, for for really any, any research. Again, it's probably not reliable enough that you would cite anything from it directly or quote anything from it. Um, But it's, it's a great overview of a topic and it, it it, it can direct you to places that, that would be very reliable. Uh, Beyond Wikipedia, I, I know a site that I've used on occasion is, um, uh, I think it's crime scene investigator.net something that I think it's crime scene net but it, there's dashes. It's crime dash scene dash investigator. And that has a fair amount of, um, of content. That's kind of all about forensic science and, and how, you know, what the crime scene response guidelines are and procedures, some of the evidence collection procedures. Uh, it It also is, you know, you interested in going into the field. It has a lot of employment opportunities as well, so it's kind of a multifunctional website. But it does have a decent amount of information uh, if you're looking for kind of the basics of it. Uh, beyond that, I'd, I'd encourage talking to somebody who's done this or who has studied it. Um, there's nothing quite like being able to talk to a person in, in real life. A lot of times what you read on websites is kind of the, the official procedure, but you talk to somebody in real life and that's not quite how it always goes down in the field. So I'd recommend making connections, talking to people, using friends, family, friends of friends as, as, as resources. Uh, there's nothing that quite beats that that human interaction. Hey,
6: I love talking to people, Justin. Does that surprise
5: you? <laughs> Not at all.
6: Come on, two radio shows. I think my my gift for gab is kind of well established here. So those are some great great tips cause I know, and I've seen this everywhere. You know, there's the official textbook version, and then there's the, all right, when we're really doing it, we do this, this, and this.
5: We tweak it just right. a little bit. There's all kind of little tips that somebody who actually has done it can give you uh, that kind of go beyond the, the the guidebook answers. Um but you know, it, the guidebook is obviously a great place to start if you don't know somebody. Particularly if you're looking maybe at the federal level, I know the FBI has has an archive page that's all about forensic science, and you can it kind of talks through the processing of a scene and everything as well. So if you don't know somebody in the field, you you know those things are great places to start uh, as well. But it, you really can't beat you know having somebody to talk to who can give you the kind of the ins and outs of what it's really like on the ground. All
6: right, now here in this country, we got 50 states. Are crime scene techniques kind of standardized across the country, or are they hugely different? Or is there pretty much a
5: that's, standard? That's, that's a great question. And it, it really depends on what aspect of forensic science you're talking about. Uh, there are certain fields that are much more reliable than others. Uh, but that said, there is no national standard. There's no, like, forensic science. Um, organization that sets a national standard. So you can see variation from state to state. Uh, and that has caused some problems when you're actually talking about uh, prosecuting somebody, uh, particularly if they cross state lines, kind of dealing with two different sets of standards. And, and we've, we've seen, you know, even issues running, uh, we've even run into some issues on, on topics there that are generally pretty well, well, well accepted in courts, like say fingerprints. You know, people think of fingerprints as being the, you know, the end all, or, you know, only a step below DNA. But we've, we've seen cases where you have um, expert analysis done by two different people, and they come up with completely different answers, uh, even though they're both well-trained, because uh, there's, there's an element of subjectivity in a lot of forensic science. So there's, there, are, there are some problems with lack of standardization across the country. But again, it kind of depends on which aspect of forensic science you're talking about. Some some do a lot better than others.
6: So would you say like DNA results would be, is that pretty much it's got st- standard set procedures, even the fingerprints? Yeah, I would don't... say
5: DNA is probably right near the top um, and then, you know, all the way down to maybe like bite analysis at the, at the bottom. You know, bite analysis is very, very nonstandard and very subjective. Uh, and then, you know, even things like lie detector tests and you know, those sorts of things are sometimes so unreliable that they're not even allowed in courts of law at times. Um, but again, it kind of depends on, on where you are and who you're talking to. And the other thing, too, it varies drastically if you're in a big city that has the resources versus a small rural town. So if you're if, you, if you're writing a book and your your crime scene is set in this little hodunk town in the middle of nowhere. They're not going to have the same resources that you would if you had a murder that took place in Washington, D.C. And the, the, the standards that they might meet and the, the technologies that they would have and the training that the individual person might have could be vastly different.
6: Those are great points. They are. So, and I hope those, those points help other writers. So what else? So it took 10 years so, did you hire an editor, or did you do all the editing yourself?
5: Uh, neither, technically. I I, uh, I didn't hire an official editor, so I, I did most of it myself. Uh, I did have a handful of uh, friends, family members who were kind of beta readers for me, and they, they helped with a lot of the editing as well. Um, by and large, though, I, I did most of it myself. I, I I've always you know been fairly good at editing, just in general. Uh, I, you know, I've helped edit. Other, other people's work as well. So I, I felt pretty confident in my abilities, but there's always things that you miss when, when it's your writing, it, just from a psychological perspective, you know, they say, you know what you meant to say. So therefore your mind reads it as that, but it may not always come across that way to the, to, to another person. So even though I did most of the editing myself, I made sure to have, you know, a couple other people read through the work ahead of time. You know, I, I had you know a couple of friends, a uh, family member, and then I joined a, um, like an editing group that I, I met online, and we all kind of helped edit each other's work. So, I, you know, I, I pitched, you know, basically chapter by chapter, you know, over, you know, probably nine months or so, you know, week by week, you know, to help have either four other people in the group, and they all, they would all read through it and offer suggestions. You know, some of it I, I agreed with, other parts, I, you know, I, I liked it better the way I had it, but they they provide another set of eyes, kind of lo- look over it and tell me what they thought, and to help catch any grammatical mistakes or typos that I that my eyes glossed over.
6: So you use the peer review method even in your fiction writing.
5: I did, and it was a um, a very good, helpful, uh, cheap way to do it because you're you're not paying somebody necessarily with with cash. You're paying them in in exchange of you know. Services because I'm helping edit their work as well, and so you you, you both benefit, uh, and it was it was very helpful and very useful for me as well.
6: Oh, that's awesome! It really is. All right, what other little tips and tricks do you have hidden up your sleeves? You gotta have one more for us, Justin. You got one more?
5: Uh, yeah. Let me think for just a second.
6: Well, Justin, while you're doing some thinking, we will take a commercial break and be back with you on the other side.
3: You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where
2: liberty and reason still reign.
7: Here's George Foreman with InventHelp.
1: Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions I'll tell you like I'll tell them all? Call my friends at InventHelp.
5: Call InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp has been helping
2: inventors for more than 30 years and has sales offices nationwide. InventHelp can submit your
5: invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. If you have an idea and want to try to patent it and submit it to companies, you should call InventHelp today for free information.
1: Listen, I can't guarantee a company will be interested in your idea, but I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner.
2: get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-353-6490. That's 1-800-353-6490. Again, 1-800-353-6490. At St. Jude, a family never sees a bill at all. It's like the world has been lifted off of your shoulders. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org.
4: Sometimes riders feel lost, unsure why a passage may not be working. It takes another set of eyes to help us nurture our writing into full maturity. At Black Wolf Editorial Services, we strive to enable writers to develop and grow, offering manuscript critiques and line edits through a mentoring editorial style. We also offer assistance on generating a writer's bio for your websites. Black Wolf Editorial Services, nurturing your writing into maturity. For a full list of services, visit blackwolfeditorial.com.
6: And thank you for hanging in there with us while we paid those radio station bills. Now back with author J. Robert Kinney, a.k.a. Justin.
5: Well, you know, I, I think when, when, when you're talking authors, there's often two types of authors that people fall into, two, two categories. You know, the people who kind of plot everything out, every step by step, uh, you know, detail by detail, chapter by chapter, almost like an outline form. And then you have people like myself uh, that that don't do that, uh, and they kind of write by the seat of their pants to an ex- to an extent. You know, they're, they're called the plotters and the pantsers. And I, I tend to be much more of a pantser. And while that can introduce a lot of difficulties for me, what that forces me to do is really know my characters very well, because the way my my book goes is becomes dependent on how well I know my characters. Because if I know them inside and out like, like they're my best friends, I know what decisions they're going to make you know, essentially before they do. And my book is guided very realistically in that sense by decisions that, that, that the characters would make. I find if you plot things too much, uh, you end up having your characters being forced to make decisions that, that are kind of out, of out of character for them. Uh, but I, I like to let the characters guide the story rather than let let some sort of outline or plot uh, guide the story. And while there's probably a good balance in there between both of them, I I find that being able to know my characters so well, at least for me, provides a better, more compelling story than if I had outlined the entire thing up up front.
6: Well, that makes all the sense in the world, Justin. I mean, believe it or not, you know... My favorite author, Brad Thor, I can tell you all kinds of things about his alter ego, as I'm going to call it. Scott Harvath, I can sit down and tell you where he lived and when he lived there and what his resume would look like and all those things. So it actually makes sense. And I'm sure Brad Thor can tell me a thousand things. I don't know because he's never let them out about that character. But that makes sense to make the story character driven so that your characters aren't backed into a corner to do something just because this piece of paper that isn't your manuscript says it's time to do it.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I assume Thor does this as well. A lot of authors do. But the way I do that is I I keep a character database of every character that ever pops up, you know, every little detail about them so that if I do have a question, I can go back and, and take a look. But it allows for my stories to be much more character-driven than plot-driven. And I find that to be compelling. I mean, your, your book has to have a plot, too. so it's There's certainly a balance. But being character-driven, I think, is a, is a more compelling story for an average reader because they like to get to know the characters and get to feel like the, the, they're friends with the characters as well.
6: So do you ever sit down and, you know, kind of stare at that character profile and... Have a cup of coffee with that character and have a conversation with them. Going, what would you do
1: if? Uh,
5: not quite that formal, but I, I certainly have sat down with characters and tried to kind of plot out little bits about them, you know, th- things that would they will never ever show up in the books, but things that may, you know, have have kind of behind the scenes influence. And so I've definitely sat down and you know, I've, like I said, with this character database, I've kind of created a bunch of little tidbits and details that. I, May may never ever be, become relevant, but it helps me to know them better.
6: I've heard that that I've heard people refer to that as the iceberg theory. The ten yeah, percent of I, the iceberg is above the waterline, but you have right, to know and the
5: rest. You can't see the yeah.
6: whole, and that's the published book. So ninety percent of the icebergs below the waterline. So you only get the reader only gets to see about ten percent.
5: I'd say that's probably pretty accurate, uh, at least very close to that number. It's. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I think helps drive the the novel and, and make it compelling for the reader that the reader will never see or even know about. Right. And frankly, even when you're when you're when you're plotting too, I mean, I guess I, I plot little bits here and there. I, I know like what the, what's going to happen in the last few chapters of the sequel, but even then, like the details that I know about what's going to happen aren't necessarily the, the exact same details that will pop up and I'll tell on, on the page. And I think that's that, again, makes for a much richer story.
6: Well, those all sound like very good advice. I think you've given some, some writers some awesome advice and hints and tips, because the world of forensic science is something that most of us don't know anything about, except what we see on TV or read in books.
5: I think that's true. And a lot of times what you see on TV and read in books isn't always accurate, uh, which is probably why I'm... I'm so concerned with making sure mine is as accurate as I can make it.
6: Well, that sounds like a very outstanding and amazing goal, especially considering, well, you have a degree in it. So as I do with all my authors, why don't you give out your social media information?
5: Uh, sure. Um, so I, I have a, a a Twitter account. Actually, I have two Twitter accounts. One for me that's a little more personal. One is an author. So the author one is just J Robert Kinney. The personal one is Justin R underscore Kinney. Um, I also have a, a Facebook author page on, on, under J Robert Kinney. Uh, and then I'll go ahead and give this out as well. If, if you know anyone has any questions about me or my work, I have, I have an email address as well that's specifically for my uh, my, my authoring, and that's uh, just J Robert Kinney at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to answer any questions or talk to anybody about you know the writing process or forensics
6: well that sounds amazing justin and i think you may be getting some emails with an offer like that cuz i've got i've become friends with some writers and how i tripped over a bunch of these writers was i have a i have a website com. you know i've got my social media too and i put up a chat room on the website during Nanorimo, and they've all become fans of the show because you know it kind of pops up on the on the sidebar where their where where their chat room is
5: right yeah,
6: so you may and there's the the chat room I intended to take it down after November, but I didn't I left it there, and these crazy wordsmiths from all over the world are still occasionally popping up in there. So I've,
5: oh, I've,
6: it's been interesting having a bunch of wordsmiths hanging around my website.
5: Well, it's a, a tight knit community. Writers are—I've are, I've found uh, other writers are frequently very willing to to help others, you know, pursue that same goal. We all kind of are in it together, in a sense. I, I think that's that's a really great thing. I've been very pleased to find how uh, to find how find out how willing writers are to help one another.
6: It does seem like there's a wonderful writing community out there. All right. Well, I think I'm going to pour myself a cup of coffee and settle down with a book. And I will catch up with you later, Justin.
4: That sounds good.